Coaches, thanks again for tuning in to the Minnesota Basketball Coaching Podcast. Real quick, before we get to Coach Carroll from Marshall, I want to bring attention to some video breakdowns that I've been doing of local college teams. My first one was on Augsburg University's transition offense. I have another one in the works here that will be released shortly on St. John's ball screen offense. I think it's really good content that is applicable to coaches at the youth and high school ranks. Uh, it's college teams, but it's um, teams that are running stuff that I truly feel that can be ran at the high school level. So check that out. You can access the content at gumroad.com. That's G-U-M-R-O-A-D.com backslash Coach Clotier. Clotier, C-L-O-U-T-I-E-R. I appreciate it. Uh, take a look. I think it's good stuff that can help your programs. All right, so we are here with Marshall Head Coach Travis Carroll. Coach, thanks for joining today. Well, thanks for having me, Coach Cloutier. First thing we always do is we uh, ask what your coaching Wikipedia page is. So give us a little background on uh, where you're from, where you played, and then what led you to Marshall. Okay. Um, I grew up in uh, Fulda, uh, Minnesota, which is about 45 miles to the south of Marshall. Uh, my dad was an assistant coach, basketball coach growing up, so obviously had that, uh, had that uh, parent that was a coach and obviously both my parents were educators as well. So had a great experience uh, growing up and had a fun experience with my, through my high school season. And, you know, my, my dad was definitely my, my role model, uh, uh, going through and becoming a coach and had a chance to go to Ridgewater community college for a year, uh, played basketball a year there with uh, coach Mike Johnson. And then from there kind of hung up the shoes and, wanted to go down to Southwest Minnesota State just to be a student and actually one of the one of the people that were in a lot of my classes was uh, coach Bigler so had a chance to get to know know him at a at a young age and then after graduating high uh, college went to Redwood Valley High School and uh, coach under Todd Iverson was the JV coach and uh, Dave Matson, the brother of Joe Matson at Mankato East was actually one of the assistant coaches at Redwood Valley and had a great staff also had Dave Holman there who his son was one of the his son was a really good player that went through Redwood uh, a few years before that. And then went to Leroy Ostrander for, for four years after that. Had a chance to work with uh, Jason Herber, who's now the head coach at Plainview Elgin Melville. And then after that four years at uh, Leroy Ostrander, decided to try something different. And in terms of where I was teaching and coaching at, I actually my middle brother actually was living near the Dallas, Texas area. So I went down to uh, it was a 6A school, Flower Mountain Marcus, and uh, near the Dallas area. I actually coached at one of the junior highs. We had three junior highs that fed into the high school and had a chance to coach, you know, with uh, 6A football down there and their basketball program. Danny Henderson was actually the coach at Flower Mountain Marcus. And when I was there, we actually had uh, Marcus Smart was one of the players at that high school that, that came through. He's now in the NBA. And then uh, Bill Forte was also in the same group as Marcus Smart. So I had a chance to be part of a program that had those two players on it. Uh, the coach Henderson was great there, even though I was one of the junior high coaches. Uh, he'd always invite the junior high coaches to sit on the bench with the varsity, and that was a that was a great experience with a really high level basketball. And then used my one to get back home and use my connection with uh, Coach Bigler and our friendship. And he had a GA position that was open at at SMSU, and came back uh, came back to Marshall and was a grad assistant with Coach Bigler for one year. And then I was, it was kind of a two-year commitment and the Marshall High School job opened up. And after being one year GA with SMSU and Coach Bigler uh, applied for and I received the job with Marshall High School teaching at the 
elementary school and the boys basketball coach. So it was kind of a kind of a big circle, kind of started in the Marshall area and had a chance to kind of, you know, go have a lot of good good experiences along the way and end up uh, end up back in Marshall. So very thankful to have the opportunity to coach and teach here. I won't ask you any, uh, for Coach Bigler's sake, I won't ask any college stories about him, but I do want to know one thing that you learned or a couple of things or big things that you learned coaching with him as a GA for that one year at Southwest that you're, you're able to um, instill in your program at Marshall. Yeah, Coach Bigler has a great uh, relationship with his players. And, you know, I think he's, you know, he's a wonderful person and, you know, he has a real strong connection with his players and you can just see how he, how he uh, makes connections with his players and the amount of time that he puts into even his summer, his summer camps. I mean, summer camps are a big part of their program and big part of the Marshall community and just how he, you know, he gets his hands dirty and he worked hard at those summer camps, but he does a great job of making connections with his players and does a great job of, you know, being part of the community. And, you know, he's a, he's a great role model and a great friend and a great person to learn from. Maybe more just a personal interest question on my end. I've always kind of wondered how this works. Obviously, you're a, a 3A school, uh, but by no means you, got, you guys don't have six, 700 kids graduating from Marshall High School. Uh, but a good, I mean, a good size 3A, but by no means metro size school. Um, but you also have a big Division II NSIC college in your town. So how do you balance, like, running camps? Because I think that's, that's really intriguing to you. Um, is obviously, there's got to be some communication between the high school and the colleges. But just how does that look in the summer? That's a great question. I mean, communication, as you said, uh, Coach Bigler and I will talk about when when he's going to run his camps in the summer, and we actually will try to like to do our K through eight camp at the end of May before they get started up with their with their summer camps. And with everything that's gone on this year, we actually moved ours to this week in August just because we weren't able to do it in May. But communication is a big thing because you know, as a high school coach, I mean, we have another person, another program in our community that's looking to provide an opportunity for our for our youth kids and we're not going to compete with that we're going to say hey we're going to offer what we can offer and we're going to say let's go across the street and go to their camps as well and you know we are very fortunate to have that opportunity to have more than more than just our high school program trying to uh, make have an opportunity for kids to compete you know we have the college there as well and you know it's very important that we have a strong relationship with uh, with the SMSU men's program because uh, you know, it's a benefit to their program to have to have kids involved in their programs because it's part of their financial end and it's a big part for us in developing kids. And, you know, it's important that we work hand in hand. And, you know, he does, uh, Coach Baylor does an awesome job with his camps and we're excited when our kids have a chance to go and do their camps. And unfortunately, they weren't able to do camps this summer. And, you know, that's definitely going to, that's definitely an impact on on our program as well. So you mentioned uh, the big circles, you know, a student at Southwest State, then getting back as a GA and now coaching uh, in, in the town of Marshall. And so um, what did you, you know, you mentioned going to stop at successful high school. Redwood Valley had a successful staff and you, uh, Leroy Center, then ended up in Dallas. What's the first thing that you looked to do when you took over the Marshall program? Yeah, that's a good question. I think just bringing the, bringing the kids together. I mean, just uh, it was at the end of the summer when it happened and, you know, the kids, there was a there was a long period of time between when the open when the job was open and when it was filled. I think there was a lot of uncertainty with the kids as to you know what's what's going on. Why was there you know if it was a month or whatever it may have been before it was filled as to you know getting the kids in a room, having the kids getting a chance to see me, and uh, you know having that first communication before the you know before the end of the summer because it was the last week of July when 
when I took the job at Marshall High School and kids are kids are wrapping up and you don't want kids to get go into their fall sports before having a chance to meet you know who they're going to be working with in the winter because you know you have to start you have to you have to start building those relationships and those relationships start on the on the very first day that you meet them and it was you know it was just building that relationship seeing the kids having the kids see me and you know just to have the kids have a chance to try to get to know me as you know as well as they could in that short amount of time you, uh, you know, part, part of your at Marshall, you've had a lot of success uh, with, you know, been to the state tournament, been in section finals. Uh, and, and I want to see your side of it. A couple of years ago, you played in a, a pretty unique game against Wasika in the section final at, over at Gus Davis College. And you guys were on the wrong end of that. So I don't want to bring up, open up any, any, any wounds or reopen any wounds here for it. I'm just curious because I know it was, you know, ESPN got national coverage of it and that sort of thing how did you guys go about how did you handle that with your team and some of the adversity that you faced uh from that really really tough defeat in the section final yeah that's a good question I mean that's uh it's been a few years so those wounds aren't uh aren't the aren't what they were at one point in time and my wife would be one to tell you that it was probably a a tough stretch to be around the house you know after that had happened but you know at the end of the day you know life is about adversity life is about handling things that you know, you may not think is fair at times. And, you know, we talk about that with kids and we got to experience that uh, firsthand in terms of a game with, you know, it was an amazing game. Uh, went, uh, went four overtimes and got all that, notor- you know, got all that attention. And, but there was a team that was on the wrong end of that game and that was us. And it was important to see how we were going to respond to it. And, you know, we had a chance, um, the Timberwolves actually invited both teams up to the Timberwolves game that Saturday, two days later. And that was great for us the next day because there's no way to really speak to a team after a game like that, you know, right after a game that was, you know, that's a difficult moment as a coach. So it was good to be able to bring the kids in to a classroom the next day and talk to them and, you know, about this opportunity that we had to go to the Twin Cities. And that, that situation with being able to go to that Timberwolves game let us have another, another moment together as a team. You know, we got to go on the bus, you know, we got good treatment from the Timberwolves. And that was, that was a very good thing for our team in terms of, you know, we didn't leave the locker room after that game and not see the kids until the summer. We got to see kid, the kids a couple of days later, and, you know, we got to have a different experience to, to end the season. I, you know, the following year, you know, our team ended up going to the section finals and making it to the state tournament. So I thought our kids responded really well. And that summer, that summer following that game was very important for us. We had, you know, we took, we, we got a very competitive summer schedule because, you know, we, we wanted to challenge our kids as much as we could. And those uh, kids coming back from that game, I mean, adversity, they'd been through, they'd been through the adversity of all adversity of basketball games. And what we saw the next year, we weren't going to see that type of adversity because I don't, you know, even as a coach, you know, it was a, it was a tough loss, but I, you know, I don't expect to ever see a situation like that again as a coach. And, you know, if it does happen again, you know, you learn from those experiences and how you handle those. But we were very proud of the way the kids handled that situation in that game and coming back the following year and qualifying for the state tournament. I actually was at that Grand Rapids game then at the, uh, um, the, the next year at the state tournament. And I actually sat just a handful of rows behind your bench. And I really watched how you and your staff interacted in your, in your guys' program. And I was extremely impressed with how you handle yourself in the sidelines, how you interact with your players, how you interact with your assistant coaches. And I took a lot of notes just as a young coach watching the success that um, – the success that you had and how you, how you, I guess that how you handle yourself on the sideline and we'll get to some of the, the culture type stuff in your program. Cause I've just always been amazed from afar at um, the positive culture and the way your guys handled themselves on the basketball court. 
Uh, but I want to talk about what that was like the next year getting to the state tournament in, the, in a community that I'm sure really gets behind their high school sports. Um, I remember watching the, our girls basketball team go down the state tournament and play Marshall handful of years ago and there's a, a good turnout from from Marshall and what was that like then then after that you know awful section final game the year before being able to get the group to the state tournament the next year and then what that meant for your basketball community that's big um our community support is amazing I mean our our community does a great job of coming out to our games during the season and when when we get to the pole season our community does a good job of of following us as well and you know we had a great following that year to the state tournament and you know it was very rewarding for those kids to to have those opportunities to get back up to get back up to the cities and you know we're very we're very we're very lucky to have the sport that we have in our community i mean even the the parents of our kids i mean in the summertime we ask for a lot of commitment in all of our sports that our kids do and you know our families are very understanding of you know they are going to try to provide their kids the best opportunities that they can in each of their programs and you know we're very lucky with where we're at in Marshall and with the families that we have and the community support that we have. And, you know, it was definitely, a, it was definitely, definitely a fun opportunity for those kids during that season. You have a lot of athletes in your program who are football players, baseball players, multiple sport athletes, something that isn't seen as much as maybe it even was five, 10, 20 years ago in high school sports. So what are some ways that you're able to tap into that and, and make that uh, a successful basketball season when maybe you don't have your guys as much, but also speak to the culture of Marshall sports. Cause you guys are successful in a lot of sports. It's not just a basketball thing. So talk about the tiger culture and then also how you're able to work with football, work with baseball, work with those other sports. Cause then, you know, year in and year out, you, have scholarship level football players and who maybe have to buy into maybe a lesser role in basketball than they had in football so how do you how, just kind of how do you go about and uh, addressing those roles with your guys but also talk about the culture uh, at Marshall High School definitely now uh, we have to have great relationships with the other coaches uh, when we're doing our summer stuff uh, we're going with our guys between 9 and 11 and then football's probably picking them up um, at 11 15 11 30 and they may be having baseball practice from 7 to 9 in the morning so those kids are kind of, they're doing these three activities back to back to back. And it's uh, very important as coaches is we're not overlapping because the last thing we want to do is make those kids choose as choose between those activities. And we try to, even when we schedule our tournaments, I mean, we like to do a lot of breakdowns with our basketball team. And we ended up got in a situation, we try to go more during the week to the breakdowns because a lot of times on the weekends, they'll have baseball tournaments. And it's just like, well, that's our chance to get our guys together in the gym. And that's when that's when we'll look to do it. But it's very important that we have that relationship with the football and baseball programs. Uh, as that team you're talking about a few years ago, we had uh, Reese Winkleman, who's now a defensive end at South Dakota State University, who was – he started as a freshman on our basketball team, and now he's playing at uh, SDSU for football. We had Blaze Andrews, who was, uh, who was playing at the University of Minnesota on their offensive line. And, and we also had Trey Lance, who's at North Dakota State, uh, the quarterback North Dakota State. All three of those guys were on that team. And, you know, they – those guys bought into the weight room for both, uh, you know, for all their programs and they did a great job of getting in the weight room. And one thing you'll find with, with the, with the guys, they just, they didn't like to lose and they like to compete. And it was basically, well, I'll take whatever role I have to have in order to help our team win. I mean, blaze offense alignment, that's the most unselfish position on the, on the football field because, you know, they're, they're, they're hugging the running backs and quarterbacks after touchdowns. And, you know, that was uh they were very unselfish. And this past year's team, we had a YA Black, who's at the University of Iowa playing playing football now. He'll be going as a defensive end. And we had Trace Steinbach, who's looking to be a linebacker or tight end at North Dakota State University. I mean, we've had a good, we've had a, we've had, we've had a good, uh, we've had some good kids rolling through that have been 
especially at our post positions that have, you know, they've been football players and post players in basketball. And I just like our post guys have been very unselfish and it's been awesome having those guys. And even though they were D1 football players, they wanted to win during basketball season and they did whatever it is they could to, to, to help our team win games. And we're very fortunate that uh, we have that mentality and that culture with our kids at Marshall High School. We talked about camps earlier with you balancing the caps, the your your summer camps with what Coach Bigler is doing over at Southwest State. You also mentioned when we were pre-talking or texting yesterday about some of the strengths that you have. And one thing you mentioned was that there was a really solid and sound youth program set up for you and you took over. But I have to think that you put some of your own touches on that. So what were some things that you've improved with your youth program? So part one. And then what are some things that your youth program does that you really like and that I think other youth programs could learn from? Uh, our head assistant coach is uh, Mike Christensen. Uh, a lot of people might know him as Iron. Uh, he's been he's been running our youth program for over 25 years now. I mean, it's like I came in the, came to Marshall and had a setup of of the youth program that he he helped that he developed, and it was it's awesome. I mean, we have a fall league for third through sixth graders that starts, and uh, we'll start that. We'll go for six weeks in the months of October, November, early December, where we're just it's in house. We're not going playing any other any other area schools but we'll, we'll have enough kids where we can we can run uh, workouts work on the fundamentals and they can have games as we get farther into that into our fall league and that leads into our our traveling season which is for fourth through eight, fourth through eighth grade but it's a big advantage for our third through sixth graders to you know have that fall league and that six weeks of basketball before they start traveling and I think that's a that's huge for our program and it's important that our kids are running the system that we're that we're looking to run I mean they're not going to Obviously, it's going to be more complex as they get older, but with what we're trying to run for an offense, you know, we are teaching that at the youngest of age levels and and building up uh, as they continue to get older. And, you know, defensively, we have some, you know, we have some fundamentals on defense that we we expect uh, all, of our, all of our youth teams all the way from third grade all the way to the seniors that, you know, there's some fundamentals on defense that we expect out of each of those groups. And it's important to have those fundamentals and, you know, lock in on those things. That way, as they continue to get older, they understand the expectations uh, when they get to that 9 through 12 program. What are the numbers for your in-house fall league? Good question. I We'll run anywhere from – we'll run third and fourth together, and that can run anywhere mid-30s, low 50s, and fifth and sixth grade can kind of be that right around that 40 number. We've had a – we had a large number of kids that have been going through the last few years, so – that numbers, those numbers have kind of spiked up a little bit over the last few years, but it definitely gives us enough to uh, provide, you know, anywhere from four to our four to six teams playing against each other when they do their in-house games and allows, uh, you know, allows us to provide a lot of good competition for those kids. How many of those kids then, tra- then tra- how many of those kids then travel during the winter season? I'd say if we had a group of 14 kids on a, in a grade, you're probably looking at 11 or 12 of those kids will travel. And that number is usually a higher percentage as they get older. Fourth grade may be a little bit lower because they're not quite sure if they want that travel doing all those tournaments. But as they get into as they get into fifth and sixth grade, those numbers usually rise if they're doing fall league for normally traveling as well. You mentioned that you try to run some of the same stuff um, offensively uh, at your youth level that you run at the high school level. Can you speak to uh, maybe what are some what's some of the coach educating that you have with your youth coaches, or if you run a coaches clinic or what are some ways that you're able to get those coaches on board and educate them for what you want their offense to look like? Uh, we'll have a we'll have a meeting before the before the start of their travel season, and we run an offense uh, 
if you you've had Coach Bigler on, he talked about Phoenix, and we have that Phoenix in with our youth program, and it's uh, it's an offense that uh, you know it's one that's pretty, it's one that has good spacing, and just explaining the spacing of the youth coaches and just giving them a few, you know, just a few tips as to what you can do with that Phoenix offense to make it, you know, beneficial for a fourth grade group, and what you can tell the seventh grade coaches so what what they can do with their Phoenix and when they run it. And we also have another a side ball screen offense that we don't introduce that necessarily with our with our third and fourth graders, but as they hit that that fifth and sixth grade grade level, we'll we'll have those coaches run that side ball screen offense because it can be a little bit more difficult for kids to understand where to go with that offense. But definitely just showing those coaches, you know, the spacings and where to be at on the floor and what you can do to tweak the offense to make it more beneficial for their age groups is you know, something we try to communicate to those coaches. What are some ways that you're able to install that with your youth to kids and have your, your, your youth program run that ball screen offense, but not getting kids too pigeonholed into being a, a ball screener. And this guy's being a guard who uses ball screens. When we run our fall league, we'll have, um, you know, we'll have our kids run through it and then we'll say, go a new spot. I mean, if you're the point guard, you gotta, you gotta learn to be the five man. If you're the five man, you gotta learn to be the point guard. Cause by the time you're in ninth grade, you may have grown a lot or you may not have grown much at all and you can't be you can't just be a post you know you got to be able to be a poster guard and that's what that's what we like to tell our kids is you're not you're not pigeonholed at that age and you got to move you got to go to different spots and it's important to explain that to the youth coaches as well so that way the kids have opportunities to play different spots and sharing the basketball is really big and just trying to find ways to help those players understand how to share the basketball along with the youth coaches is so you know what can we do to get the basketball and the basketball in other players' hands to help develop these players in game type situations. You mentioned on the same token that you also defensively is the same and that you want them running some of your same principles at the youth level. So what do you want and what are some of the, the rules or the parameters that you give your youth coaches? Um, maybe it's man versus zone, pack versus more aggressive, press half court, whatever the case may be. What are some parameters that you give your youth coaches what in helping them gauge what type of defense to run uh, with their fourth grade or seventh grade or eighth grade traveling team? Uh, we're man to man. Um, on the ball, on the ball defense is very important. Um, you know, in terms of playing time as they get older, you know, if you are not defending the ball, you know, it's going to be hard for you to play in our system. And we spend a lot of time going through drills on, on the ball defense and, you know, just what can we do to, to help those players out. And there's different drills that we'll run with our, with our older kids that we'll share with our, with our younger coaches so what they can do in their practices and you know these kids are they're just going to continue to improve in these drills I mean it's not gonna it's not always going to look great at a young age level but you know when they come to when they come back the next year or they come to our summer camp they're going to say all right this is what we've worked on this with our with our youth coaches and now we're working on it with the high school coaches and we've done this drill before and we're going to be better at it the next time than what we were the first time or the last time that we did that drill. So let's move into your varsity program and let's get in a little bit more deeper into the X's and O's from your, uh, we'll go, I will start offense. We'll come back to defense. We've talked about, you know, what it looks like at the youth level, but I want to um, jump in and talk about offense with your guys. You, you mentioned you run the, the Phoenix, the continuity or the spread ball screen type offense that Southwest runs. Um, what are some of your main teaching points that you're looking for uh, that you teach, you know, year in and year out or some of your, the main reads or the main looks that you're having uh, at the varsity level with your uh, ball screen offense? It's important that we're getting pulse touches and we're getting action in the rim. I know this summer we've had a chance to do a little bit with our kids and 
we haven't seen the pulse touches that we'd like to see and that's something we're going to have to emphasize next year but we have to be able to you know we are looking to to attack the attack the lane area because that's just going to open it up for our teammates i we're we're at our best when we have five or six guys that can go double figures i mean there's been seasons where we haven't had that and we've, it's been a struggle for us uh you know once we come down to the end of the season so it's very important that uh you know these players are able to score outside the three-point line inside the three-point line score trying to go to the rim i mean it is very important that our our players are are working on that to improve in those areas so that way when we get in our in our game situations where a team you know can't key on one guy and they can't key on trying to stop a certain action against uh against our kids as to where we need to be you know we have to we have to be able to score in a lot of different ways offensively and you know our kids really bought into that this past season i thought our kids did a great job of buying into that we had six kids who could go double figures on any night and our first guy off the bench was probably our third or fourth leading scorer during the season and just buying into roles on the you know buying into roles on the team is very important as well and you know, I think our, our kids have done a good job with that. And offensively, we're always trying to tweak as well because we're not going to just go in the game and say, well, Marshall's going to do two things because, I mean, teams are going to be able to prepare, whether if it's, you know, they go against the Phoenix actions, teams might be able to try to do some things to try to slow that down. We have to have other things that we can go to, whether if it's our side ball screen action or some other tweaks that we try to put in uh, during the season. And this past year, we were able to throw a lot more different things at our kids than what we've had been able to do in past years to where when we were running our Phoenix, it was hard for teams to defend it because they're trying, there's there's five to seven other things that we were trying to do as well during the game. And it was a credit to our kids' ability to retain all that stuff we were trying to do and, and to attack it the way that, uh, you know, the way that we were trying to coach them to attack it. How have you found is the most effective way to get post touches within your ball screen offense? Well, a lot of reminding to our players. I mean, we'll, uh, we'll have some actions in our Phoenix action to where they under the kids understand that a post touch is expected. And, you know, there's uh, the old, there's every year we will go through stretches in multiple games where we're, we're not getting that done. And then we're, we're having to uh, bring the kids in and remind them at the end of the day, it's, it's up to the kids to buy into that. And, you know, one thing that we try to tell our kids is our post, our post players are some of our best passers. I mean, we got, we have good perimeter shooters, like get the ball inside and you're going to be able to spot up and find an open look because they're going to have to do, do something to try to help inside. And, you know, our two, um, Y and Trey Steinbach this year were great passers and our guys were more than happy to give them the ball because they knew they were either going to, that someone was probably going to get an open look if the defense was going to try to help down on them. So it's just buying into that. All right, here's what happens when, when we get the ball inside and, you know, that's, uh, you know, our kids have, have bought into uh, getting it inside, and that's something we need to continue to do. You usually play one true big, or do you ever mix in running a second true big? Uh, this year we ran two bigs, and then we'd probably run one out early early in the run just because that allowed us – we could put one of our bigs on the perimeter, and he was able to – we were able to do some things. So even though he was outside the three-point line, we were able to get him inside the three-point line pretty quickly. And then our side ball screen action, had we play two bigs, go with two bigs and three wings. So – we started two bigs this year and we were able to have success with that. And one thing we had was uh, we had Noel Pitts who's going to University of Sioux Falls to play basketball next year. He's a six five, six six. He we played him anywhere from the one spot to the five spot. And it was very difficult for teams to match up with him. And I mean it was uh to have a six five, six six kid who can run your point, but also if they got a small on him, we can get him touches inside and he played very physical. So 
we definitely were able to run a lot of different lineups with our team this year, which is probably one of the biggest benefits that we had, which is the size and the physical strength and the athleticism and the, and the height that we had in other areas with kids. We run a similar type of spread ball screen type offense. We ran it more from a five out setting this past year, the year before uh, we ran it with a more of a traditional big where we've always had some issues is that if teams defend that initial ball screen really well, and we don't have any step of an advantage of flowing into another action, sometimes kids yeah. get stuck expecting something to come from that first ball screen and they kind of get stuck standing or waiting or not being a threat. What are some things that you found um, that have worked to keep that ball moving and keep your team aggressive and not just standing and hoping that that first ball screen leads to an advantage that will then lead to a basket? Yeah, that's definitely a problem that we've had with our kids in the past. And this year we've, uh, or these past few years, we've, we've broken it down after we make that pass as to where we need to be. The guy making the pass a lot of times was even, was going to the wrong spot to begin with. And we really had to break it down. Okay, you made the pass. This is where you need to go to, to clear out. So once we make that first pass, the guy who catches that first pass, the expectation is, is you're attacking the rim and looking to create for yourself or looking to create for a teammate. And this year we were able to have, once we made that first pass, whoever caught that second pass, that guy was had just as good of a chance getting to the rim as our point guard did off the ball screen. And if we had to make a third, make a third pass, our kids had confidence on that third pass, being able to understand where they were supposed to go after the pass for the spacing of our offense. And the guy who caught the third pass was just as capable of getting to the rim as well. And that's it was just the benefit of what we had for personnel this year with uh, the amount of ball handlers that we had along with our bigs. I mean, it was uh, – it may not be the case next year or the year after that. Sometimes a lot of it comes down with the personnel of the kids and the kids understanding what they need to work on in order to be able to get to get to the rim, whether it's with their right hand or left hand or a secondary movement they got to use to get to the basket. What type of ball screen coverage? And, you know, you don't have to answer this because I don't know if maybe Joe or uh, any other uh, section teams are listening to this, but what's what ball screen coverage do you guys tend to have the most trouble with? You know, switching. I think switching's hard. I mean, that's a, and that's, you know, when, once you run into those better, those better teams, they're able to switch better. I mean, Mankato East is definitely a team that could switch on us. St. Peter was, be able, was able to do that. Mankato West will be a strong team in our section this year. And when they switch those ball screens, I mean, it's, they're saying that they can, they can match up with their five guy defending your point guard, which, you know, which they were able, a lot of teams, you know, as you get the competition continues to improve, they can do that. And then getting a point guard on your post, they're saying that their point guards are able to get in the proper position on their post defense. And, you know, it was once you tried posting up against those point guards, you know that people are sending help looking to get tips and seals that way. And kids recognizing that, you know, if we're on offense, if we got a, a point guard guarding our post, we're staring the pass down while the other team's sending a guy down there to uh, help out on that pass, where it might be the skip pass is the one they have to make rather than the pass to the post, because if you throw that skip pass, then that's where you may have a chance, better chance to find the post, you know, against that against that type of switching defense. But, you know, we, we see a little bit of everything. I mean, teams will pack it in. There's a lot of teams that we see during the year, they'll pack it in, and then our kids will fall in love with the three-point shot without getting action to the rim. And some nights that's what bothers us the most, because if we're not making a shot, you know, that can definitely get in a, get in a player's mind. And sometimes their mentality is, well, I missed one, I'll make my next one. Well, then – we're calling timeout after five or six trips down where we're not getting what we are hoping to see on our offense. So we definitely have had troubles with teams that have packed it in and, you know, hard shows. I know that we, 
ran into Fairbowl a couple years ago. They were hard showing us, trapping us hard every time, and we just could not figure out what we were doing against that. And I think all three of those, all three of those things can cause their prop, cause you problems depending on depending on the night and just if we were getting the kids to execute. And you know, I think switching is probably the one that can be the most challenging, just because that means athletically a team is is a real strong athletic team and is able to defend that better. For teams that aren't familiar with your with your uh, with with Marshall, do you guys like to get out and run, or are you looking to kind of grind it into your half court stuff? And then, if you are running, or what does your transition attack look like that helps you flow into your ball screen offense? Uh, we like to run. Um, we uh, you know there's games in the season where we could probably run and continuously run and get, but there's we we can't uh, we can't depend on that because as we get in the section tournament, we're not going to be the most athletic team out there. Uh, once we run into teams like East and West and uh, St. Peter's, they're going to be able to be in the right spots in their transition defense, and we have to be able to run run through our offense and get the looks that we need. Uh, we like to flow into our Phoenix, into our Phoenix, where we're spacing out, running down the floor, kind of that four out, and then that five man. He's kind of reading his man, his, whether if his man is trailing or not, as to where he goes in our transition, in terms of if he's setting a high ball screen or if, he, or if he's looking to get down on the block, looking to post up, but we definitely try to transition into our Phoenix action. So that way, you know, we don't have to reset once we get back down on offense, if our transition offense isn't there, but we like to pride ourselves on being, we're able to run, but we're also going to be able to not run and be able to score that way as well. Cause you know, it's going to have to be like that during the season. Yeah. We, uh, we ran into a, a friend, a family friend of yours in coach Fenske up in Hermantown in our section final. And I think both of us were top 10 or so in class three and scoring and everyone thought that game was going to be in the eighties. But when you get to a section final and everyone's got film on everyone and you've seen the team before and you've live scouted them in the semifinals and you know, their stuff and it's game 20, 29 on the season, there's not a lot of hiding that everyone kind of knows what everyone's going to do. And so you really have to be good in the half court. Uh, so I think that's a good point that you mentioned that when you run into teams in that section semifinals, section finals, that you have to be able to be really good in the half court. Because I think sometimes that can be the the miss the, the the struggle with when teams that run is that they um, aren't ready when that game does slow down in March, which it inevitably will. So uh, do you have any you know, go-to sets before we get to defense? What are any go-to sets or actions within your your Phoenix when you know that you save or little wrinkles that you'll use when it when you really need a basket? You know we. It kind of depends on the game. I mean, we'll try to we'll try to switch it up from game to game and just try to see what the other team may be doing defensively to try to see what our go-to action may be in that game. And you know, a lot of times it may not be a go-to action in Phoenix. It might be getting out of Phoenix and running something different and kind of trying to confuse the defense and then coming back to our Phoenix to where it's going to open up our Phoenix better. And sometimes it's just timing that out during a game to where we're we're changing it up enough during a game to where it's going to open up more of our basic offense and actions we like to run but you know a lot of times it depends on where a kid is at on the floor too if our best shooters in one spot then it's going to change what we're with what type of call we're giving our kids in our phoenix is to if you're a poor man who doesn't shoot the ball well on offense is that so that may change an action that you think may work well but you may have a different kid in that spot so then you have to kind of change the action or call that that we're looking to make from the sideline to try to put kids in a better position with their strengths man-to-man uh program for you guys on defense uh what are some of your philosophies within that on your are you pack aggressive do you mix pressure in at all uh what are some of the basic philosophies and then also your non-negotiables or things that your kids have to do uh defensively uh we have to be able to defend the ball 
on the drive. I mean, we do work on rotating defense is very important to work on and to understand, but there are challenges with rotations. We might get one guy to rotate over well, and then the, the second or third or fourth rotations aren't there, and it leads to an open look. And that's not something we're going to depend on is to be a rotating defense. I mean, we're going to challenge our guys to defend the drive, but we need to understand when we when we have to rotate and where we need to be on our rotations. But, you know, that's not something we're going to continuously do uh, during a game. Uh, we're, fundamentals are going to be big. I mean, when we talk fundamentals, I mean, transition defense is very important to us because it's uh, once we get into the section tournament, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, we need to be able to defend in transition. And, you know, it's, uh, there's fundamentals of the communication, understanding personnel and transition, understanding, you know, who the other, you know, the personnel, understanding who the players are on the other team. And, you know, your five man's on the point guard. They need to understand what the point guard's going to be, going to be trying to do <clears throat> for a strength. So, you know, that's very important. Uh, you know, you know, limiting teams to one shot is, you know, we, we pride ourselves on trying to be a physical basketball team and, you know, we try to limit them to limit teams to one shot. And we want each shot to be contested that they take during games because teams will make contested shots. But, you know, if they have to continuously to try to make contested shots during the game, you know, we're going to hopefully on offensively be able to create more uncontested shots than the other team. And, you know, that goes back to back to our defense. And we had a very athletic, very physical team this year who could have just lived on the offensive end, but we were able to have those kids buy into the defensive end. And I think that was definitely one of the biggest keys to our success this year was our ability to uh, buy in defensively and try to stop teams and, and slow the other teams down. You mentioned limiting teams to one shot. Obviously you have some um, athletic, physical scholarship level football kids that have come through your program, but there definitely is a piece of teaching that I'm sure uh, you're good at. So how do you teach rebounding? I think that's one thing that can at times, especially in the, in the more modern game when teams are shooting more threes, which means there's in general more misses. Uh, how are you teaching rebounding? You know, we're teaching our kids not to, not to run to the basket. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying to, uh, you know, stay in our area, keep our man behind us. And once that ball's coming off the rim, uh, we're chasing it down. I, you know, we, there are times where we don't do well enough in terms of, you know, checking our guy out and moving our feet defensively. And there's games where we're, where we've had a bad game. We'll get just back to our fundamental drills of rebounding the next day, just as a reminder of our kids as to what we need to do. And, you know, we try to get that into each of our practices and, you know, just to, just for the kids to understand that this is a big part of our, big part of our success because we always tell our kids you guys we like to run you know once we get a rebound we like to run but we're not running if teams are getting two three four shots on us in a possession and you know our offense is is much better when we're able to hold teams to one shot and you know you're able to get going in transition like you mentioned it's a lot easier to run when you don't have to go the extra you know eight to twelve feet to take the basketball out of bounds than go that extra eight to twelve feet back the other way if you can just get that rebound and run that's a big way in keeping your getting your pace up and improving your tempo um closeouts how are you what do you guys teach for closeouts are you one hand two hand are you uh the more traditional squeak squeak with your feet what are what are some ways if you're gonna be good on the ball i'm sure your closeouts are an important part of your program and so what are some ways that you're teaching closeouts uh, right now we're one hand. In the past, there's been times where we've been two hands, and I think that's something that uh, that's something that can change. Uh, we're big on when we're closing out, you know, the distance that we're closing out. Uh, we talk about proper distance where we're when we're reaching out on the guy on offense as to, you know, where our hands can can be at on on the opposing player. And you know, we obviously teach 
try to teach our kids not to be too close and not too far away and be able to reach out and be able to touch that basketball or the, the player's jersey and just try to try to simplify it that way. And uh, definitely understanding, you know, if you're playing against a shooter, it's going to be a little bit tighter than, than you might be against someone who may, whose first option may not be to shoot and just understanding who you're closing out on as well. You mentioned that you have some really good assistant coaches that um, obviously help develop player development and, and prepping and all that sort of stuff. What are some ways that you empower your assistant coaches to have a voice within your program? That's a good question. Uh, we have our, we have an amazing group of assistants this year and uh, with our, our ninth and 10th grade coaches, we'll have them run with our, when I'm during our varsity practices, we'll bring one of those guys over and run the, the opposing team's offense. And, you know, they'll be, you know, they'll be running, they'll be running the opposing team's offenses with the varsity and uh, coach Christensen kind of locks in on our defense and um, our other, our other assist, other two assistants, ninth and 10th grade coaches, they were, they're very involved in our offense along with coach Christensen and to bring in uh, wrinkles or new ideas. Cause when I first took the job, our side ball screen offense was there before I even, before I took the job and it was something that one of the best decisions probably made was keeping it. So that's something that's been there long before I was there. And, you know, the, these assistant coaches have great ideas and it's important to, to listen and pass them with, all right, we're struggling with sideline out of bounds plays. You got sideline out of bounds during practice today. Show us your three best ones that you have or, you know, inbound plays underneath. What do you, what do you have there? And, you know, it's important to keep them, to keep the coaches engaged. And, you know, it's definitely something as the more years I'm going into this, the more hands-off I'm becoming with certain areas of, uh, you know, with what we're running in practice, just because of what our assistant coaches are able to do. And, you know, it's, uh, it's awesome with all, with uh, the assistants that we have with uh, Coach Long, Coach Johnson, and Coach Christensen, because they bring a, bring a lot to the table and a lot of great ideas. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of help that as head coaches that we need in, in certain areas to, to try to make our team a better team. What are some uh, roles or responsibilities that they have during games? Uh, whether if it's rotations, whether if it's what the other teams are doing offensively, uh, what we're doing offensively, what may be working, what may not be working. Uh, angle of ball screens. I mean, there's the way teams are defending our ball screens. You know, they might say, oh, we need to adjust the angle that we're setting our ball screens. This is going to open up our offense better. Some things as, you know, as a coach, as I'm on the sidelines, like, yeah, I didn't see that at all. And, you know, they're really good at picking up the, the fine details that may be going on during the game. And then last question here, um, practice structure. Talk to me about what a normal, maybe not quite end of the year, maybe not tryout period, but like a January practice or late December practice looks like for the Marshall Tigers. Well, we're, we're going to have a, we'll have the plan out. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we follow through on the, on the structure of it. We will, we'll have quite a bit of defense. Uh, we like to, you know, defense is something that we're going to pride ourselves on and, we're going to spend each day, whether if it's transition defense, uh, boxing on rebounding, uh, you know, defending the defending the drive on defense um, offensively. Uh, we may look to break our offenses down. Uh, not going to always be traditionally five on five. We may do some three on three, some uh, four on four actions before we get into before we get into our live um, five on five stuff. And we're, team building drills are important. Uh, it's important that we're we're doing drills to get the, whether if it's a shooting drill, getting the energy going up, a charge zone track and practice, uh, getting that energy uh, going up. You know, those are, those are important things. And end of the game situations are very important. Uh, you know, there's, once you get into crunch time and the close games, uh, you get in your tournament play, uh, you're going to run into that game where 
it's a eight point game with five minutes left to go in the game. I mean, how are we going to, what are we going to do offensively to try to uh, get the basket to get baskets? If we're down eight, what are we going to do offensively? If we're, we're ahead by eight points and, you know, what are we going to be doing in these situations? Because those situations are coming at us and we need to be prepared and not look at each other and say, well, what are we going to do? You know, we have to have the confidence and the prep and, you know, we we learned a lot this past year. We've had we had a couple of tough situations with our end of the games, and we were able to take that back into practice and, and implement it. And I thought our kids did a really good job at the end of the season with their end of the game situation. How much time during the course of the week would you say that you take for special situations? Uh, in terms of like end of the game situation inbounds, anything, any any specific, yeah, any specific situation, yeah. Like I mean, okay, I, I guess I should say you mentioned like up eight, down eight. What would you do in that situation? So yeah, when you're running through scenarios, how much time do you think would you say over the week do you take for that? Uh, we we would hopefully implement that for if we have a five practice week, four out of those five practices, if not five practices, we're implementing that. May not be a five minute situation, maybe a one minute situation, but we're doing some type of situation you know, end of the game, we're hopefully doing that, if not every practice, you know, almost every practice during the week. Coach, good stuff. Uh, last question here, not necessarily basketball related. Um, if and when or, uh, Trey Lance becomes, uh, puts, if, he, if he puts his name in the NFL draft this spring, are you, re- are, re- are you ready for the abundance of phone calls from executives that your phone's going to be blowing up throughout the spring? Oh, I think, uh, I think someone else will be receiving those calls, but we're, we're very excited for Trey. I mean, what a what a great kid, what a great family. We actually have his younger brother, Bryce, who's going to be a senior this year, who's also having a wonderful career. But, you know, a very Trey's a very grounded person, one of the best, uh, you know, one of the best players we've ever we've ever had to coach. And one thing we say about Trey is he was the of all the guys that we've coached in the last eight years, he probably hated to lose the most. And he was a very competitive very competitive player. And, you know, with the position that he plays at North Dakota State, uh, you know, winning is you know, winning is something that they're known to do. And, you know, that was something that was right up Trey's alley because he's, he's someone who's very competitive, who doesn't handle, who does not like to lose. And, you know, we're very excited for what his future may, may hold, but, you know, that's uh, as those things go, those things are kind of one day at a time with the, with the way things are going right now, but we're definitely excited for Trey and all of his accomplishments that he's had uh, once he's, once he graduated from Marshall high school. Coach, I appreciate you taking time to jump on the podcast and share the, the wealth of knowledge and what you guys do at Marshall because you guys had a lot of success tonight. And I, I think coaches will leave listening to this with a lot of information that they can bring back to their program. So thanks, Coach. Well, thanks for your time. Really appreciated it. And uh, best of luck to everyone out there. And uh, hopefully uh, things uh, get better sooner. We, we can only hope. Thanks, Coach. All right. Have a good day. You too.